2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. Are we starting the podcast now? Or? Oh, we've been on the podcast, my brother. <laughs> Yo, welcome to the Death to Life podcast. My name is Richard Young, and we are back, baby, from our one-week hiatus Christmas break with a new episode for you today. And today's guest is my friend Serena, my sister Serena, and... Uh, I got to know Serena when she was dating uh, a kid I coached at Union College named Reagan. And they had this long-distance relationship, and she would come down to Lincoln, and I got to know her in a way where we were acquaintances. But through the last... Oh, I don't know, half a year, I've got to know her so much more, and we have the same spirit. She is my sister, and this story is at times heartbreaking. Um, There's a lot of pain in the story, but at the same time, please hang on till the end, because um, this is from death to life. There is life, there is abundant life. There is a testimony of God revealing his love in a way that could not be ignored. So uh, this is this is another one of those episodes that is just a beautiful testimony of God's love. So I'm really excited that you get to hear it. I was just blessed to to uh, interview Serena. I hope this... Uh, Finds you at the beginning of a wonderful new year, of uh, 2021, and um, just be blessed. All aboard, buckle up, strap up, let's go. Yo, Richard, are you about to do the podcast? Oh my God, it's the life I was made for. We do it, major. 
major We do it major On my soul, just press, yeah, it's paid for Oh my God, it's the life I was made for We do it major We do it major, yeah I grew up in a beautiful Christian home with two beautiful parents that did everything they could to give me the best childhood possible. You know, they didn't have amazing jobs with great incomes, but, you know, I grew up on 40 acres, horses, cats, awesome dog, right? Like, so I grew up, you know, the whole cowboys and Indians in the back 40. Like, that was my childhood. Like, my sister and I would run out the door and we wouldn't come back for hours because we were back in the creek, like, making a teepee. Um, and uh, it was just a very beautiful childhood and a very young age. And I remember this night. It's so crazy. But I know everybody, like, freaks out over The Chosen and how awesome The Chosen is. But before The Chosen, there were videos about Jesus and I'm sure you've seen them um but it was there were the Matthew videos and um sure there were it. yeah there were the Acts videos and we had them on VHS right like we'd have to rewind yeah. them um we had them on VHS and then DVD came out which is really cool but I used to watch the Matthew videos and for people that are listening that like don't know the math like I 100% recommend them because it's word for word from the Bible and at the little bottom of the corner it always showed the chapter of Matthew it was in the verse and I remember I was only like five or six and I would rewind and re-watch the scene when John the Baptist baptizes Jesus and he comes out of the water and it's so beautiful and like the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And I remember saying to my dad one night, like I was sitting in his lap, I was daddy's little girl always. And I was like, I want that to happen to me. Hmm. And so I grew up having this massive love for Jesus. Like, deep in my heart knowing from basically from those movies as a child I love him and Mm. there's like this scene at the end where he's walking after he's been raised from the dead and he walks and he kind of turns around and he smiles and he like points at the camera and Mm. I used to cry like I can't wait to see Jesus like I want to walk with him and it was, it was beautiful. Like, I would be the little girl who I always had devotions in the morning. And I remember one year I was trying to read the Bible in a year, and I got stuck in Leviticus, and I just couldn't make it. <laughs> um, who doesn't get stuck there? It's a great Bible. It's a great chapter. Um, but, yeah, so I just, I loved Jesus. And I even was like the, it was in the most innocence but it's what started making me realize that I was kind of different is I would beg my parents to get to church early so that I could be like the first one um, to Sabbath school, which was just like my favorite time of the week because I loved the singing. I loved the table time and no one else really loved being involved. 
but I was getting into the like early teen years where I, I really wanted to be involved and I really wanted to like do something for Jesus. And my peers though were like, I remember the looks that they would give me or I would hear things said about me. Like she's such a goody two shoe. Like I'll never forget hearing that one day under a a friend of mine's voice. And I was, Mm -hmm. I was like 12 or 13 and I didn't even know what that meant. I was like, what are they talking about? Cause I was like wanting to sing up front and mm-hmm. as time went on and I was going to a, a private school and we were getting to like the middle grades of like fifth, sixth, seventh grade, um, mm-hmm. girls were becoming mean <laughs> and yeah. yeah. And I'll never forget one day, like some girls were like, we should go on around in a circle and say what's wrong with someone else in this circle and they went around this circle and every one of them didn't say something wrong about anybody else but they all said something wrong about me and they basically had like planned this oh, and uh, yeah it was like very detrimental to me and so what they not to bring um, up like what, what is wrong with you no like, it's okay well, like but it was that... just they were like, you try to act good all the time. You put on a face. Um, yeah. You want the teachers to like you. And it was tough for me because, you know, anyone who knows me right now knows that I'm a very relational person. I love relationship. Um, and so it was weird to me because I've always I've always just been friends with people, even my friends' parents and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. so as that started happening, I started like distrusting my, like a lot of people. And so I think that's when I started losing, like where I realized, like I started losing my innocence and thinking that the world was a beautiful place in my eyes. Hmm. Because I had always seen the world as something so beautiful and I was always so happy and cheerful. And I I remember when I was really little, I loved singing all the time and I would want to put on plays for my parents. And it was just, I was always so innocent. You know, I was like the barefoot running in the grass, running through the stream kind of little girl. So now I'm in this school where it's cutthroat. <laughs> and... Uh, Really, I can say basically in my life, the predictable turned into the unpredictable. Hmm. Um, Because about a year after that had happened, I was in the seventh grade. And my parents split. And I did not see it coming. Mercy. And so... uh, I'll never forget it um, because my mom worked at the school that I was going to school mm-hmm. at and I got out of school. Remember, I went to flute practice because I played the flute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I killed it on the flute for six years. <laughs> like all sweet girls, all sweet girls play the flute. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's just that's a rule. Um, And I remember I walked into her classroom after practice and she was just sobbing 
because we had left home that morning and I mean, everything was fine. I walked into the classroom and she was sobbing and she shared some information with me about my dad. And I just remember, I remember this like shock of literally when people say they feel like they've like smacked into a wall. Truly, that's when like the predictable turned into the unpredictable because my sister and I had to go to a family friend's house and we were there all night. And um, my dad was gone for about a month and we didn't see him. Um, And, you know, I want to tell this story in a way that like preserves who he is and who his character Mm -hmm. is because Mm -hmm. he's such a good person and so Mm -hmm. I will always honor my father and my mother but he had an addiction to alcohol Mm. Mm. and so uh, a month went by it was right before Christmas you had no idea that this was happening nope not at all that he had this thing nope and so uh, Christmas time came around And my parents decided to try and work it out. So for about a year between like that Christmas of my seventh grade year to into my eighth grade year, my parents tried to work it out. But within that like year and a half, I was miserable. Hmm. Like I became very resentful in my heart. I, I started picking up on anything and everything. And what's interesting now is I'm a very observant person where I can walk into a room and I can read the energy. I can read people without, like, I used to nanny for families and I always knew what was going on. I always knew if the parents were in a disagreement. Like, it it got very interesting because I then started growing up in a home for about a year and a half where constant fighting um constant where my dad would come home intoxicated my mom would be upset and then I have a little sister who's three years younger than me and so I I constantly was like trying to just protect my sister from knowing and she never Mm. I don't think really knew for that year and a half so I did the job that I wanted to do and I protected her from that but the whole time I mean what I'm like 12 13 years old and I'm hearing my parents scream at each other and I'm having my dad come home with alcohol in his breath, and now I'm scared because he's acting different, and he wasn't nice. (laughs) He was very angry. Um, And so then I started seeing, like, this angry side of a person that I had always looked up to. Mm. Like the daddy who would, like, sit me on his lap by the fire early in the mornings and read me the Bible and take me on camping trips and take me on horse rides and all these different things. So my father, who I thought I knew, became this person who I was actually scared of. Mm. I was very scared of him. And I remember I'd call my mom sometimes and I would beg her to come home because I needed her to be home before my dad came home. And he Mm. never did anything to me. But it was just the behavior and the anger. I had never seen anything like it. And the screaming at my mom. So uh, 
right before my graduation of eighth grade year is when um, an event happened at home one day. And we left the house very quickly. And I'll never forget, like, my mom pulling away in the car. And I saw my dad, like, standing in the driveway, like, watching us leave because he was begging us not to. And I remember feeling guilt, but feeling so happy that my mom finally chose to leave. Hmm. And that was really hard for me because I had spent the last year crying in my closet all the time and being in so much pain, no one ever knew, to now being happy that my mom was leaving my dad. And I felt very guilty for that. So uh, parents got divorced. Mom, me and my sister, we moved more into town. Um, My sister and I, my dad had us like every other weekend. Mm -hmm. And pretty much from then and then my freshman year, my sophomore year, my junior year, I hated my dad. Like, I don't use that word, but old Serena hated him Mm -hmm. because it takes two to tango you know what I mean and I never play I'm not going to place blame it wasn't my marriage but I knew that he didn't get help for the things that he said he would get help for Mm -hmm. and because of that I hated him because of the way that he allowed our family to be broken oh no so that's like what's that's what was tough is because then like he and my sister would be super excited to come pick me up from school and spend the weekend with me and I was miserable like I hated it I would cry sometimes on the weekends like when I knew the weekend was coming up to go with him because Mm -hmm. I didn't trust him like I did not trust him at all in any way and then it was like causing pain between me and my sister Because we went from being close to then she was angry at my mom for leaving, but she didn't know why mom left, but I knew exactly why she left. Mm -hmm. So she's angry at my mom. I'm angry at my dad. So our relationship is breaking apart and I shut down Mm -hmm. and I'm miserable whenever I'm with them. And it breaks my heart to look back because my dad loves me so much. And he, he would, he literally was spoiling me so much. Like, he would want to buy me anything. He would take me take us out to dinner, like to whatever restaurant we would want to go to. Like basically, I mean buying us, you know what I mean? Because he just wanted us to know we were loved. And I I would not have it. Like I remember we would go out to eat and I would just sit there in silence. I wouldn't talk. Um, my parents tried to make me go to counseling mm-hmm. and I went to one session and I mm-hmm. refused to go back. Because I was like, I'm not talking about this. <laughs> why? Why was? What was the reason that you didn't want to talk about it? That sounds like a stupid question, but no, it's mm-hmm. so valid because I know I can't be the only one who went through this as like a child of divorce, 
And I think what's really wrong is nowadays it just seems like divorce is kind of a thing. Like, oh, yeah, my parents are divorced, too. But there's just, like, this, like, mutually unspoken, like, but we both went through pain. And for me, being an older, like, being the oldest sibling mm-hmm. and feeling like I had to protect my sister, I then saw the unpredictable with my dad. So mm-hmm. I stopped opening up there. But then I remember, like, hearing my mom sob at night when we, like, moved out of the house. And I just, I was so observant. I always knew. And so I became, like, the protector. Like, I'm going to be strong for my mom. And I'm going to be strong for my sister. And I'll take care of me eventually. And it basically, no joke, was me crying in a closet all the time. Like, it was usually, like, at night. And when finally I knew, like, no one would come in, I would, (laughs) so funny, it's not, but I would play on my Walkman. (laughs) I had a Walkman with a CD. It was a Casting Crown CD in the song Praise You in the Storm. I would put my headphones on, and I just remember I would sob to that song over and over and over again. And... You didn't want to talk about it because you were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Protect. You were protecting that. You felt like your role was to be tough right now to 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 yep. keep. And so you can't talk about it because then. Tell me. I just remember thinking I don't need this, hmm. and I remember thinking my sister needs this because she's really torn up about this. But I was dealing with more guilt because I wanted my parents divorced. As much as I loved my family for who we used to be, I needed the divorce to happen because we were so miserable in a home. Hmm. Like, I didn't want to be scared anymore. I didn't want to see the fear in my mom's eyes. And I remember sitting in that one counseling session and the ladies like, trying to talk to me. And I just remember I felt like she was babying me. Hmm. And she said, I remember her asking me, why aren't like, why aren't you talking? And I said to her, because I don't need to talk. And she said to me, you know, Serena, my, my parents got divorced around the time yours did. And unfortunately I didn't take care of it. And then around the age of 23, it all came out and it was a hot mess. <laughs> she was like, so it might be better to talk about it now so you don't have to deal with the repercussions later. I'll never forget her saying that. And I remember thinking that will never happen to me. And uh, I walked out. I told my mom I'm never going back. And I didn't used to be a defiant child. Like, I was always very respectful. And I remember telling her I'm not going back. Like, that was stupid. <laughs> And she didn't make me, which I really appreciate. Um, So when you're listening to that song, um, what did the lyrics, what did it all mean to you? Like, were the lyrics real of uh, Praise You in the Storm? Yeah, for me at the time, they were. Like, and I'll praise you in the storm, and I will lift my hands. For you are who you are, no matter where I am. Like, 
I remember just sitting there and that song was what like continued to confirm to me like Jesus is here no matter what. And that gave you some peace or did it just help you in that? It gave me a release. Yeah. It gave me a release because that was the only way I could find comfort. Because unfortunately, all of my mom's close friends, their their daughters were the ones who I started noticing were the ones that weren't true friends. Hmm. So while my mom was getting comfort from her friends and we were going to these homes where I had friends, mm-hmm. I never really opened up to them either because I didn't trust them. So I went into high school. Unfortunately, then, um, dealing with all of this, no one really knowing, and having a talent for basketball. And it was a talent that I didn't really know about until about when I went into high school. I had a seventh grade teacher who told me, hey, you need to start playing basketball because you're good. And I hated sports. (laughs) Like, (laughs) up until seventh grade, like, I wasn't really into sports. I was more of, like, a horse girl. And so because he said that, I started kind of shooting hoop once, once in a while and I got really good at all the sports. Like I just started noticing I was really good at flag football and I was really good at baseball and I started playing all the sports. So then high school came around and I tried out for the team. And at that point we didn't have a varsity and a JV. So I tried out for the team and I made it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we were not D1 by any means. You know what I mean? Like we were, we were an academy, but Andrews Academy had always been known for having a really good basketball team, guys and girls. So I was really excited. Like, I made the team. Um, And there's just little things that, like, came into my head and they stuck that hurt. And I'll never forget, like, they posted the the tryouts. And I remember a couple of other girls had tried out that were also freshmen, and a couple of them made it. And I remember they were like really excited. And I remember standing there with them and I was like, this is awesome. Like, aren't you so excited? And they turned to me and gave me a really nasty look. And they were like, what are you so excited about? Of course you made the team. And like, I shut down. Like, I was like, oh, like, am I not supposed to be excited? So then little things started happening like that. Um, Like the coach wanted me starting on the team as a freshman and I had a couple of girls, like, start talking behind my back about that and, like, saying I was, like, a coach's favorite and all these different things. When in my head, though, I was like, but I've been practicing for this because someone told me to. Like, I've been preparing. Like, this isn't just Mm -hmm. something I Mm -hmm. did. Mm -hmm. And so as that started happening, like I said, I just – I was kind of a tomboy and, like, a lot of the dudes played sports. So then I was, like – I would want to play ball with them after school and I would play flag football intramurals and stuff like that. And around my, it was my sophomore year. Um, I had a girl who I thought was my friend 
was so weird. We were in class one day. We had like a substitute teacher. <laughs> the actual teacher wasn't there. And she was like, hey, like, can we go talk? And I was like, sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, she like took me into the library of the school and basically sat me down. And I was very innocent, Richard. Like, mm-hmm. I had never like hugged a boy romantically, I'd never kissed a boy. And she sat me down and she was like, I just need you to know, like, you're acting like a slut and used those words. <laughs> Hold up. A substitute teacher said this to you? No, no. Sorry. A friend like took me out of class. Like when oh, a substitute okay. was teaching. Was to lose it. No, no, like, no. What? Sorry. Okay. I was okay. A friend um, said that. Okay. Still not yeah, cool. So but I, that's how we were able to leave class. So she like took me out of class. It was very random. And I felt so betrayed because she had like been a friend of mine and I had no idea to be honest with you. Like I was so innocent, Richard. I really didn't even know what that word meant. I just knew it wasn't good. Right. And she was like, you love playing sports with the boys. And she was saying all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, but that's how I get better. Like, (laughs) like in my head, I just knew these like little things. Like, well, of course I play with the boys because they're really good. And that's how I'm going to get better. Um, so like that happened. Another really painful thing happened that year on a basketball tournament. Like a girl on my team started a rumor about me with Mm -hmm. one of my guy friends that wasn't true. And it was extremely embarrassing because the coaches found out and the coaches didn't believe it and they knew it was a lie. So then I remember one night during this tournament, we had, like, I had to go into this game knowing everyone was talking about me and knowing the coaches, like, were going to make this person apologize to me, but, like, I was about to play a game with her. And... uh, it started this very, and it's going to come back around, right? But it started this self-preservation, self-protection. I don't trust anybody. I need to be perfect because what is happening? And then I start distrusting my mom um, because she started dating someone at a distance And so in between my sophomore and junior year that summer, my mom leaves Mm -hmm. for the summer to go spend some time with this guy that she's dating. And uh, I could have turned into a really bad kid. Like, my parents are lucky that I'm, (laughs) I'm, like, so good. But she left. My sister went to live with my dad, and I refused to live with my dad. So my mom basically hired this gal that we knew to live with me for the summer. And I was working full time. And basically on the weekends, I was going about an hour and a half north of where I lived to stay with my aunt and uncle and my cousins because that is where I felt happy and whole. And what's interesting is when I look back as I was, I became so close with my aunt and uncle and it's because at the time I'm like, I was just going to visit them, but my aunt and uncle love each other so much and they have a beautiful marriage and they have a fun home. And I felt like my, my cousins were my brothers 
And so I would go up there, I, I think, to just get around the wholesome love of a happy family that's together. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, during that summer is when I started allowing guys to fill the hole. Hmm. So I went from pure, beautiful, innocent, not under, not understanding. Um, yeah, like you know, when Reagan liked me, um, mm-hmm. I was like, I don't even know, like, what that even means. And then I went that summer, where like boys would show me attention. And I was like, subconsciously, oh, that feels good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then I started dating someone for a while. And I just remember I loved dating him because his parents were absolutely amazing. And I remember I just loved being in their home because it was happy and they were so in love. And... I, I think I loved being in the relationship so much because I loved his parents. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, and what's funny is they were um, non-denominational. And so I would start going to church with them on Sundays. And so it was mid through my junior year. I went to this church service with them. And the pastor spoke on forgiveness, and I cried through that message. And from that day, I had made the decision that I had forgiven my dad. Oh, wow. And I started spending time with my dad. Hmm. Woohoo! Like, we're riding horses together again and I'm enjoying it and we're going skiing together and we're doing all the activities and probably in my dad's mind, he has probably no idea what switched, but he's probably just really happy because he loves me so much. Mm -hmm. He loves me so much. And unfortunately we had just never had a discussion about what had happened because he had always been in denial about his actions. So I never even brought it up because I knew he'd deny it mm-hmm. and put blame elsewhere. So I was like, you know what? We're just not going to talk about it and everything is all good. And I've forgiven my dad. Um, and so uh, that was good. But looking back to old Serena Mm -hmm. and new Serena now is I had said I had forgiven him, but the walls were still there. Hmm. Like I forgave him, but I would never forget. Yeah, you're not going to get fooled again. Yep. Not going to get fooled again. Nobody's going to fool me again. Like, got to college. I didn't trust anybody. Mm -hmm. Like, even the gals who would think, like, oh, my gosh, we were so close with Serena. But Mm -hmm. I didn't trust them. Mm. And so then what happened is I got to college. 
and the guy that I was dating at the time, um, really like it was, it really, again, just caused another, yeah, just laying more bricks. But we had been dating for like two years, and then I found out that he had been in communication with other girls. Mm -mm. And that was really painful. Because again, I had such desire and like, I, I love so hard, and I am such a relational person, and I am very loyal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm very loyal. So as soon as that happened and I started finding out all of these things, I like Richard, it was like something just like snapped after that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't care anymore. I didn't Mm -hmm. care. I was like, people can say whatever they want to say about me. It doesn't matter. So Mm -hmm. guess what? I'm going to drink because it's fun for me. Hmm. I'm going to go out and have a good time because it's fun for me. Hmm. And uh, it was at the beginning of my freshman year when all of that went down and we kind of broke up and I was just, it's sad. Like I look back and I was Hmm. just this little girl who was in so much pain Uh and had no idea what to do. Like she didn't know who to trust. And so she didn't trust anybody. But what's Mm. so crazy is I loved Jesus through all of this. Like through Mm. all of this, I still like loved going to church and I still loved like having a devotional in the morning, you know, like you read the two page devotionals and I was like, but Mm -hmm. I still love him. Mm -hmm. I did. How did, but he was, was it compartmentalized then? Was he in over here? Yep. And what you're doing over here and what you're doing over here, they don't really meet. Is that kind of how you had to, to live it? Yeah. Like, I know you exist, God. But obviously, the relationship I have with you doesn't help me. Hmm. And that was never caught, like, I never thought that, but I know that's what I believed. Is like, you're righteous, you're good, you're holy. (laughs) I love you a lot, but whether I know you or whether I don't, life still sucks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I, I have, maybe I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I have this title for a sermon that I've not written yet. I just have the title. And it's called, when it. the, it's called When the Gospel Isn't Good Enough. Mm. And it's about that exact situation. When we yeah. don't know how good it is, it isn't good enough. It's just this thing that's over here. And not only is it not good enough to change our lives, it's now actually making us feel guilty when we're kind of just want to live and get away from the hurt and the pain or... We see, you know, we get fooled by other people and they, we see their lives and it seems like they're having a good time and they don't, they're not dealing with the stuff that we're dealing with. And so at that point, the gospel, because we don't understand it correctly, 
is not good enough. Yeah. Does that make sense? Exactly. I'm going to have to write that sermon one day. And obviously at the end of the sermon, we'll, we'll, we'll have to preach that <laughs> mug out and there might be some good news in it. <laughs> um, I mean, there's good gospel yeah. in it because well, it's so simple because I never knew intimacy with my father. Hmm. Like I didn't allow myself to have the intimacy and instead I was just allowing myself to get affirmation from other people Mm. and get affirmation. Like I was very well aware that, and I know it sounds silly, but in my head, Unfortunately, like the world and and guys really damage young girls' characters of themselves when they see us for who we are physically. Hmm. Because as high school as I like as high school went on, like I remember hearing one day, like, oh yeah, so like the the guys were like rating us girls. And they would like give us numbers. And so like, as I got older, then I start, I was like, you know, I just, guys were something to give us attention. And if they liked me, then that's a good thing because that means that they like, you know, rated me. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And so that happened. (laughs) That's so awful. Um, That's so awful. Because then you're a rating. Like, yeah, like I'll never forget. The rating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I remember um, someone saying, like, oh, yeah, like, Serena, like, you didn't get any, you didn't get rated, but so and so gave your legs a 10. And I was like a junior at that time. Uh and I was like, what does that even mean? (laughs) But it was because I was really tall and I didn't know that they like, apparently thought I was, I I don't even know. But that is when I went to public school to try and escape like the pain. That's Mm -hmm. where public schools came swinging in. So I went to public school for a year and I like had two friends and it was awesome because it was basically a self-preservation, self-perfection thing where I got out of the school that had really painful experiences and I got to a school where no one had to know me. No Hmm. one really did. Um, So then college came around and, um, and you know, it's so funny, a huge part of my story is dating Reagan who we started off Mm -hmm. this podcast with because Mm -hmm. Reagan came back into my life towards the end of my freshman year. Mm-hmm. And we had been, you know, shooting the messages. He slid into the DMs over Facebook one time. And, um, yeah, he really shot a shot, was very bold, told me he was interested in me. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this kid. And I... I looked at his Facebook profile for two seconds and I saw he was still playing basketball and I was like, yeah, he's cute. So we started talking on the phone. (laughs) 
Is he is he older than you? I am six months older than him. Okay, keep going on with your story. Because I, I was <laughs> I'm trying to add something up, trying to figure out when I met you. That's um, okay. So you and... met me um twenty fourteen. Okay. So we started working at a summer camp together in Minnesota. And that's when we were started you, dating. Were you, you weren't dating before that? You had just both decided to go to this summer camp, North Star. Yeah, it's really funny. It was like this thing I had with God. Because um, I had started almost wilding out before Reagan. Uh-huh. And then God was still always there in the back of my mind. And I was like, you know what, God, I think a really good thing for me is to go work at a summer camp. Because as a little girl, I loved summer camp because that's where Jesus was. And it was a very peaceful mm-hmm. time for me. So maybe mm-hmm. I should go work at summer camp. Um, and Reagan was like, hey, I've been thinking about working at a summer camp. And I had already applied to like five. And he was like, we should both apply to the ones all my friends are going to. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And basically what I had told God is I was like, well, if you get me a job at this camp, then do you want me to date Reagan? And I was like, if we both get a job at this camp, I'll date him. <laughs> and God's it was like, because deal. we were, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if even God said deal. Cause I did not know his voice at that point, but we had applied like way past the deadline for applications. That's what was funny. And so we both got jobs and we both spent the summer in Minnesota together. And there was a lot of homies working at the camp that summer. So many homies. Yeah. Like, but I think so Nicholas was there. Tyler was mm-hmm. there. Oh yeah. Um, 2014. Brent was there. Um, like I, I literally can't even name all the people that were there because there were so many. Yeah. This was my second. Okay. So keep going. You're working at yeah. the camp. You and Reagan start. We're working dating. at camp, and then we end up dating for like three and a half, four years. Like we date all the way through college, but long distance. So he's going to school in Nebraska. I'm going to school in Michigan, and the purpose of that was my degree was not in Nebraska, and his degree was not in Michigan. So we're like, we're gonna make it work, and. Unfortunately, it was really to my benefit because it was at it was at the expense of me not spending like summers and holidays with my family. Hmm. So as home life wasn't great, like mm-hmm. I hated having divorced parents because I love the holidays, so I did not like the whole splitting of everything. So basically what started happening is it was awesome because I just started going to Reagan's family for every holiday. And it was great because, again, parents that love each other, it's a whole family together. Like, he's got siblings. And uh, it was my ideal situation to have an excuse to leave Michigan whenever. Ever I can. Because hmm. <laughs> my mom had gotten remarried at that point. I loved my dad, but it was at a stiff arm length. Mm-hmm. 
Like, I love you, but I don't want to spend a lot of time with you. Right. Like, my dad always gave him, like, little bits of time with me, and we had to be doing something because I, you know, looking back now, old Serena did not want relationship. I just gave him activity. Hmm. (laughs) And it was always activity where we couldn't talk a lot. Hmm. So when we would go horseback riding, his horse was always kind of walking in front of my horse. So I can enjoy nature. And like, we were always a little bit apart to the point where we couldn't just like have good conversation. Right. Or like skiing. We'd be on the chairlift together for like, you know, just a couple minutes. But then when we would go down, yeah. I didn't have to talk to him. You know, I got yeah. my got my snowboard. You go ahead, Dad. I'm going to strap in. <laughs> like, we were always doing activities that were separate. Um, my mom got remarried. And unfortunately, it just, it like, I allowed it to damage my heart even more. Because this guy that she married... At first, I thought he was amazing. Like, we got along super well. He was, he had a really good sense of humor. And, like, so our humor just, like, really hit it off. And about a year into that marriage, again, the predictable became the unpredictable in the home that I was living in. And it turned into a home of verbal, spiritual, physical, domestic violence situation. Oh, mercy. Not towards me at the beginning, but towards my mom. And that was about my freshman year of college when my boyfriend at the time really hurt me. This started happening, and that's when I was like, screw it. Because for about six months, I did. I was just like, I'm done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So all of that started happening. And I was leaving in the summers. It was great because Reagan and I would go work at a summer camp or there was um, one summer I stayed with his family and they were very gracious. They gave me like a guest room and a bathroom. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, I was in so much pain. Mm -hmm. I was in so much pain and no one ever knew. Was and really not even Reagan. Yeah, would were you letting him like what he thought about you was now giving you your value now? Oh yeah. Yep. And, and it became very very dangerous because I was in pain. So then I expected him to be able to like fill it. You wouldn't have said that. Nobody knows that like out loud front of their brain. Like you, uh, you need to step up to bat here and make me feel better because like my life is crazy difficult and I'm low key hating myself and hating everything. And so if you don't step up to the plate here, we're probably going to have problems. Nobody says that. No, but we live (laughs) it. We live it when we don't understand fullness and abundance. We're still searching. Yeah. So you're and getting to the And here's the funny of... thing. It's like... Yeah, go ahead. Reagan was just a fun guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? 
He was so fun. And I was so fun. So that's why we dated for so long is because we had so much fun. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the beginning, it was great. Mm -hmm. Because nothing was really that serious. I mean, we knew we were serious from the beginning because who dates long distance nine hours one way? (laughs) We did. (laughs) But we would see each other at least once a month. And then I like was having so much fun because I was, here's the thing. I was go, go, go. I was constantly going. And what's crazy is I was getting really good grades. So I was putting tons of energy into my degree But at any chance, I was on the go. Like, oh, I can go to Lincoln. Here I go. Oh, I don't have to be home for Thanksgiving. Here I go. I'm going to be gone for the summer. Here I go. Mm -hmm. And it was like escape, 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 escape. Like, you know, finding Nemo. Mm -hmm. That was me all the time. Gone. But then I would go with Reagan where subconsciously I would like expect him to just make me happy. And I remember a few times, like, trying to share with him, like, a little bit of what's going on. And he had no, like, he, I remember he didn't respond to it. Hmm. And I just remember thinking, there's no use in sharing this because he doesn't care. Hmm. And I remember the summer that I went to live with his family Unfortunately, like I have so many good memories, but I remember crying myself to sleep like pretty much every night that whole summer. Why? Just all because of it I had, or... yeah, like I had just left a home like before that. the The violence that was taking place in the home that I was living in was destroying me on the inside. And like, I've had experiences happen to me where I just had this thought with God the other day. I was like, why am I so strong? Because something happened last week and my whole family was just like emotionally destroyed. And I just was very like flat affect. And... I was always so strong. And so I got to Washington to live for the summer. And I put on a face for that family, too. Like, I couldn't let his parents know what was going on because I just didn't want them to. Mm. Because I didn't want them to pity me. And I had Reagan knew what was going on, but he had basically emotionally cut himself off from me at that point. And so that summer was good because we had a lot of fun, but he knew I was in pain, Mm -hmm. but he didn't want to talk about it because like I had been through some trauma. Like I had, it was, it was bad. Like i had had to run from the house at one point. Like I had a gun pointed at me. Like there were things that took place that Mm -hmm. like no one should ever have to go through. Mm -hmm. Like no one should ever see their mom spit on. Or, like, grabbed or screamed at, you know? And uh, no one knew. And so I was living a double life. 
And I remember at one point thinking, I remember in sixth grade, someone told me that I was two-faced and I was like, maybe I am. Hmm. And I was happy to everybody else. But nobody knew. So you're you're dating Reagan, you're going escaping whenever you can, getting through the years, getting through the summers. Um where what 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 started to change or what did change? Like what started to change is I got home that summer from Washington. And basically had, I had no relationship with my mom because I was very upset that she wasn't leaving. Mm -hmm. And I had done a lot of research when it comes to domestic violence and they don't leave. And so I was living in an apartment with a roommate that I didn't know. We had just like decided to live together and. I had just started graduate school for my degree. I'm a speech pathologist, and it's a pretty intense master's program. Reagan went back to Nebraska. I was in Michigan, and I remember that was what started depression. Mm -hmm. I had not hit depression yet. And I didn't even think I was depressed, but I was. Like, I remember sometimes in the mornings, my roommate would go to class and come back because I wasn't in class yet. And I would just be, like, sitting there kind of in the dark, like, eating breakfast. And I just, like, had, like, a show playing on my computer, which was so not me. But I was just, like, watching a show, you know, like, numbing my mind. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I had a lot of verbal abuse coming via email and text from the guy that my mom was married to at the time um, that I wasn't really telling anybody. So then I just started like blocking a lot of the messages. And uh, I was just in so much pain, but I remember at the very beginning of grad school, I had a friend tell me that she always made sure to get up early and have a little bit of time with God. And I was like, maybe I should start doing that. So I did. Mm -hmm. And I started having time with God. Um, and the first year of grad school was really tough. And mm -hmm. I was working out a ton. And I look back now and I just was so skinny and I was, I was at the point of just depression where I would sleep all the time. Like if I wasn't really studying, I was sleeping or I was working out. And then basically on the weekends, I would like drink with some friends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it wasn't like crazy, like get drunk drinking. It was just like, sure. Like, yeah. I didn't care anymore. I had I had no values. I had no values in my life. And uh, at that point, 
Reagan was so intensely um, applying to med- medical school and he was planning his future. And what used to be very happy became very stressful because once I got to grad school, long distance was not good because hmm. I had so much on my plate. Um, and we had had like plans. What's funny is like our whole relationship, we always just kind of like knew and I'm putting in quotations cause we're not, mm-hmm. but we <clears throat> knew we were going to be married right. <laughs> quotations. Right. I'm not married, but we knew we're going to get married. So sure. it was almost like, we're just going to push through all of this crap is kind of like what we both kept saying. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, long story short, we ended up breaking up because what I was going through and then he no longer really having plans for his future. Like, cause we always said, we'll get married. Like when you start getting into medical school and he started second guessing like all of it and he's, he didn't get into medical school medical school his first round and so at that point he was like I'm not marrying anyone if I can't even like plan a future so basically from there he just started doing his own thing I started doing his own my own thing and we got to a point where we really weren't even like talking that much and we were technically dating (laughs) Mm. and this is the most beautiful part of my story though that starts is I remember, um, dang, it was so close. We were like two months from not being long distance anymore. I was going to move out to Washington. I got all my clinical rotations in Washington State. And we were two months before I was going to move out there where he was. And I had this nasty, sick feeling inside one day. And I went to a professor who was just a very good mentor of mine. And I said, I think think God needs me to break up with Reagan. And she was like, no, 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 no. She was like, you are at a very stressful point in grad school because we were about to take our state boards, all this stuff. She was like, don't make that kind of decision under the stress that you're under. Hmm. But it was the first time I felt it so strongly and I felt it so clearly. And I drove home that night and I sobbed the whole way because I knew what I was about to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's interesting, you know, like God shuts the mouth of the lions and the lion's den. Mm -hmm. We got on the phone that night. I basically proposed breaking up and he didn't say a word. Mm. And I was like, there it is. So we got off the phone and I remember being in so much pain because it was was like four years of so much like love and, you know, like everything. Mm -hmm. And I was in so much pain, but I was at so much peace. Richard, it was insane. Mm -hmm. I was at so much peace. And, uh, From there, I spent time with God more intentionally. And I was like, I trust you now. Like, I kind of trusted you before, but I listened and it worked. And even though I was in pain, it was crazy, like, how quick I, like, I'll put in quotations, rebounded from this relationship because I thought it was going to take months. And it maybe was a few weeks. And I almost felt guilty because I was like, why do I feel so good? And then I was like, well, because I listened to you. Mm 
just it's also you were breaking up for a long time before you broke up oh for sure you were drifting apart like for six months <laughs> and so then like you were dating officially but you were you were going apart and yeah it's like I said we were sometimes not even talking for a couple of days and I was like what is this <laughs> what year was that that was twenty seven the end of twenty seventeen. So this is where it gets so good because God is okay. so good. Okay. Um I'm excited. Serena still had like old Serena still has a lot of those like codependent tendencies. Mm-hmm. Not kind of. She does. Like old Serena, like the codependency was like very strong. Hmm. And uh, so I'm in communication, you know, with a guy and nothing serious, but it was just like, it was again, filling (laughs) what I needed it to fill, but not realizing that's what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm like, I'm so intentional about this. Like I do care about people, but I look back and I'm like, wow, like you totally hurt that person because you thought you were for real. And uh, so as that starts happening, though, then I move out to Washington. I had to. I got all my clinical rotations out there. Mm-hmm. So I, it was, it was honestly the worst feeling in the world because I was very frustrated with God. I was like, I did what you told me to do. And now I'm driving across the stinking country to live in a state where I know absolutely no one. Right. Well, I know one person, but we are not together anymore. Hmm. So I'm moving across the country thinking that I was going to like move and eventually like get married in the next year and like all this stuff. And now I'm moving across the country like I'm driving a pickup truck loaded down with all my stuff. And <laughs> I move in with this very sweet lady from a church. She let me live in like her spare bedroom And I'm in this state, like, what the heck? (laughs) But for the first time, I got really positive. Like, I was there for a week, and I'm super into, like, hiking and skiing and backpacking. And I'm like, oh, I can get down with this. So basically what happens is for the six months that I live in Washington State, I come alive. Hmm. I cut off all toxicity from old habits, from old friends. God had to remove me mm-hmm. to say, Serena, be still and know that I am God. Hmm. He took me from everything that I, like the bad influences, like the attention, the codependency, the codependency and he set me down and he's like you and me let's go Hmm. and I get out of work every day and I go hiking by myself and people like don't do it it's not safe blah blah blah. mountain lions and like no I'm going so I'm like going hiking every day and I'm bringing this prayer journal that I have and I'm journaling all the time and I'm writing prayers to God and I remember like I would just be sobbing on a rock sometimes like staring out 
and I'm going to church by myself and I'm independent and I'm actually happy though. Like I'm not lonely. But I'm constantly begging God for forgiveness. Hmm. Begging him. Look at everything I've done. I am so sorry. Why do you love me? Why are you giving me this chance? Please forgive me. So I live this amazing six months. I fall in love with Jesus. I go back to Michigan to graduate, and my plan is to immediately go back to... You're still not forgiven, though. No. (laughs) Not in my house. Okay. So I go back to Michigan to graduate. My plan was I'm going back to Washington. That was the best six months ever. Like he had put people into my life like very strategically. Like he's such a like a chess player. Like I had met very specific families and people that ministered to me, Richard, and it blew my mind. Like it blew my mind the people God had put into my life. And they will forever, like, I will never let them forget who they were to me. Like, I'll still call them up. And, like, I tell them. Mm. I get back to Michigan. I have a really fun three months because I take off three months before I start my, like, career, you know. I travel. I backpack in Colorado. I go to Europe. I have, like, a ton of fun. My mom gets a divorce Mm. from that guy. I come back to Michigan. I start applying to jobs out West and nothing's working out. And I'm like, what, what the heck? What? what? Hmm. My dream. Like, I just want to snowboard every weekend, please. <laughs> Michigan doesn't have that. And one morning I'm sitting there with God and I just had this thought. I'm asking, you know, I'm like, God, I'm asking you to open a door. And then I have this thought. Wait, but I'm not giving you all the doors, all the options. So I apply to one job near where I live, and guess what? That's the one. Yep. I go and interview. I get in my car after the interview, and I immediately start crying because I know it's what I need. It was like I knew I needed to take it because God needed me to take it. And I was like, Mm -hmm. why? It's not the job I wanted. At all. Like, I wanted to work with adults in a hospital. Like, I wanted the ICU, intensive care, like, acute care. And I get a job in a preschool. (laughs) And I'm like, what is happening? But I'm going to take it, God, because I trusted you. I've listened to you now several times, and it's going really good. So I'm going to do it again. Hmm. I get the job. And my mom is like, why don't you just move in with me? And it was a beautiful opportunity for us to restore that relationship. Awesome. And it was really awesome. But I'm still confused as to why I'm in Michigan. Dad and I are hanging out, but not all the time. Mm -hmm. And then uh, uh, basically... I'm pursuing Jesus. This is what I think. I am pursuing Jesus 
And I am growing closer and closer to him so that, like, I remember being on my hands and knees some mornings, and I don't even know why, but I would be asking for forgiveness for, like, things a long time ago. And I was like, please, I beg you, just, like, forgive me. And I'd be crying. And and then I'd get up and go to work. <laughs> and he started just planting little seeds in my mind of, like, you have a huge purpose in your life and I'm preparing you. Hmm. Like he told me things that I've written down. Like you have a purpose that is much bigger than you. And you are not going to be a speech pathologist forever. Mercy. And uh, there were just things he started like speaking to me. I was okay. And, uh, I was excited because for the first time in my life, I felt like I was being good. Hmm. Like, I'm being good. So I've been you good had this some value year. now because you had been being good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I'm being good and I'm finally finding favor in your eyes. And I know you've always loved me, but you've been really disappointed in me. I've been disappointed in me. Mercy. And uh, it was peaceful, though. Like, constantly in my head, be still and know that I am God. And I was like, yeah, like, I get it. I started getting healthier. Like, I was eating, and I... uh, I was gaining a little bit of weight, which for some people, like, oh, man. But, like, I was at a, I had been at a point where I look back at pictures and I was like, oof, that girl was in a lot of pain. So I was in this really healthy spot. And I had also gotten to this really beautiful spot where I had decided for um, 2019. It was, like, at the beginning of 2019, I decided, like, I'm not going to date anymore. Let's go back to 2018 for Ask a second. Ask your questions. Yeah. When you found out about what happened to Reagan, did that shake you at all? Yes. Was that 2018 or 2019? It's 2018, I think. Or maybe I'm off. Was it 2019? Yeah, I think you're off. Okay, you for go sure. ahead then. You tell the story. I'll tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. sorry no so I, 2019 go ahead because that's where i was gonna you know bring it around so 2019 comes around beginning of 2019 i decide i'm not going to date anymore and uh, 2019 comes around i'm not gonna date Because I'm just, I'm like, I'm snowballing confidence with God is basically what's happening. Like, Mm -hmm. I am snowballing a ton of confidence. And, uh, like, I had had, like, a couple of guys, like, good guys, like, pursue me. And I was like, no. And uh, March 2019 rolls around. And... uh, that is when Reagan dies in a car accident. 
Yeah. And between the point when we had broken up and then we were friends. Mm -hmm. Because when we had broken up, we maintained the friendship. We were amazingly mature, mature adults and we never burned bridges. We had had a long conversation together um, a month or so into me moving to Washington. And mm-hmm. we had so much respect for one another and love because we had been best friends for a long time. Mm-hmm. So Reagan dies in a car accident and it's painful. Hmm. It's painful because he died and there was trauma and honestly can wholeheartedly say the person that I have loved the most in my life thus far and then like at that point in my life was him. Mm-hmm. And it's no offense to anybody in my life, but he didn't really have a lot to compete with because at that point I loved my parents, but like Reagan had had the love of, he was just always good and he was always fun. And we had had, like, we like loved having deep conversations and there were just things that like we had talked about that, I just knew that, like, we just, like, had this mutual respect and bond of friendship forever. Like, we used to joke, like, oh, yeah, like, someday when we both have our kids, they'll probably go to the same academy and, like, play on the same basketball team. Like, that was, like, mm-hmm. kind of the joke. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, basically for the rest of that 2019, unfortunately, I started the whole cycle again of nobody knows how much pain I'm in. Hmm. And I'm healthier this time. And I have God. But unfortunately, a few months after Reagan had died, there was definitely a week where I definitely like hit a dive and there was like definitely some depression but I told myself I could bounce back from it. And uh, I did. But it was so masked. And uh, I didn't tell anybody how I felt or what was going on because I was afraid. I was afraid of judgment. Mm. I felt shame for how much I was grieving for someone who had died so unexpectedly that because I had had a couple of people say to me why like why are you so sad like you guys weren't even dating anymore mercy like that had been said to me a couple of times and I knew it was wrong because I was like they just don't understand love then But then I started masking and I was like that self-preservation and perfection and the walls are up. And I didn't even want to share it with like my closest of friends who are also his best friends. 
Like, I didn't even want to call up Reagan and I's mutual friends to tell them what was going on because I was like, what if they judge me? Hmm. What if they think I'm crazy? And uh, so I lived, like, the whole rest of this year, yes, pursuing, uh, like, success goals. Yes, pursuing, like, you know, doing well in my career. Yes, I had life going on and making memories, and there was a lot of good stuff. But I was in so much pain. Hmm. And unfortunately, it makes it worse when you try to mask it. And unfortunately, it makes it worse when... You're not only filled with so much love for a person for who they were, because he was just absolutely amazing, but it's really bad when you also resent the person. Like, not only did I love him so much, but I also resented him so much. Why did you resent him? Because as his death brought about amazing, fun, laughable memories... I was like, good for everybody else. They all they all have like really fun memories with Reagan. I also have some really crappy memories with Reagan. Hmm. And things that he had said to me, like issues in our relationship, those memories were starting to come back. Mm-hmm. And they were memories of me resenting him for things that he had done and like things that he had like hurt me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, he really hurt me. So why does he even deserve my pain? Yeah, he doesn't deserve up. my pain. Yeah. You were wrapped up in a, a bunch of stuff. I really believed it. He didn't deserve it. Because I was in so much pain with how how amazing he was. And everybody thinks he's so amazing. And I'm like, dang it, Reagan, you are. Like, you were so much fun. And everybody gets to remember that. But here I am remembering the things that you did to really hurt me. And here I am with memories of things that you had promised or things that you had said in the heat of the moment that really hurt. And unfortunately, those were, like, attacking me. And it was causing me to love a person and then I was hating him (laughs) and then I was mad at him for dying I was like you're so stupid you're so stupid for dying I I just had so much anger towards him because I loved his family and I hated seeing his parents hurting and I was in a lot of communication with them and I had a lot of anger wow so what happened after that That was 2019, right? Yep. So 2020, the best year of my life. <laughs> a sentence that has <laughs> never been spoken outside of someone who has received <laughs> the truth over who they are. Dude, On the last day of 2020. Yeah, like when you asked to do this story on New Year's Eve of 2020, I knew it was the Holy Spirit. Let's go. Because I had planned tonight to sit in my secret place in intimacy and look back on everything in my life and see that 2020 
was where it all made sense. And see that 2020 is my love story. Okay, now now you have to tell us what happened. (laughs) (laughs) Beginning of 2020, I'm on fire for Jesus. Like, I am on fire. I don't know what's stirring inside of me, but the Godfidence is real. And... uh, (laughs) I had said that I wasn't going to date in 2019. I was like, I didn't. Look at me go. Pride. It was pride. I didn't date. Old codependent Serena didn't date. Woo! And so 2020 rolls around, and I'm so confident. I'm like, oh, yeah. And uh, what's pretty cool, though, is uh, I'm like, Jesus, there's something else you want me to know. And it was literally like, I think it was January 1st or January 2nd of 2020. And he was like, yeah. And uh, he says, I want you to wear a ring. And I was like, done. (laughs) So I literally buy myself like a very cheap, not looking wedding ring, but I buy a ring to always wear my ring finger. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm yours. I am yours. This is so much fun. And within January of 2020, for some reason, the word humility comes to my mind. And I say, you know what, God? I think I need to be humbled. (laughs) And I pray for humility. I said, I don't know why you need to humble me. Like, I know I'm going places in life now. You've given me so much confidence and so much assurance. Like, There are things that are happening in my life where I know with the confidence of you that they are going to happen. Mm -hmm. And I was pumped. But I also was like, in order to be given a life bigger than myself, in order to pursue the purpose that you are speaking into me, in order to pursue laying down the pride of getting a master's degree in speech pathology and knowing that now you're telling me I'm not going to do that forever. Keep me humbled. And uh, what's so interesting is through all of this, though, I'm in a lot of pain. Like January, February, March. I am no joke. Like I spend time with Jesus every morning But I am going to, like, worship events at least twice a week. Sometimes three times a week. Like, I would hear about, like, a worship night going on, or I would hear about a praise night, and I am there. (laughs) Like, I am there because I'm in so much pain. I need to go to a space where we are singing to Jesus, and there's a message being preached because I need that to somehow make me feel better. Because I was crying all the time. Like it was, and it was about Reagan, but honestly, it was more so just me suppressing the self preservation. Hmm. My friend Morgan calls it the pink sparkly bubble. That was me. Hmm. (laughs) The pink sparkly bubble of self preservation. I was living in it. 
But then I would go to these worship events, you know, and the lights are a little bit dimmed and the music's beautiful. And I would cry like all I would cry through the whole worship and I would sing and I would love Jesus and I would praise and I would just be like, I am in so much pain. Like, take this away from me. Please take it. Like, take it. And he was not like in quotations, like he was not taking the pain away. And what started happening is it started, uh, it almost like it started growing in my body to the point where my body would kind of hurt all the time. Hmm. Like I was always just kind of tense. And uh, March rolls around, March 2020, we'll never forget it, right? COVID hits. And... uh, I'm humbled because the weekend that COVID hits, my job tells me you're going to work from home. And that very next day, the home I'm living in catches fire via my neighbor's kitchen. (laughs) And uh, so me and my mom basically have to like salvage all of our stuff. And a lot of it was it was okay because the other lady's stuff was more destroyed. Um, but we have to move out. And I have to move in with my dad. And I was not happy, Richard. Like, I was a... a I was a little brat, to be honest with you, to myself. Like, only me and God know what kind of brat I was. But I was very unhappy. Mm -hmm. Because I said I would never live there again. And within that same exact week, my dad breaks his leg skiing. I have to take him to the ER. It's a huge part of all of this because I was boiling at that point with irritability and anger towards everything in my life. Stemming from the grief that I'm going through, stemming from the house burning, stemming from things finally being peaceful, but then also my dad getting an injury and needing me to help him. Like it was just the most annoying thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to be at this hospital with you because of other things that have happened in the past where he's injured himself due to being intoxicated. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just didn't even ask him. I didn't even give him the chance. I just was like, he was probably intoxicated. And I was not happy. And all he wants is he's sitting there and he's trying to hold my hand as we're in the ER. And like, I won't even look at him. Mm. And now I'm living with him. And now we're in COVID where I have to work from home. And my dad has this broken leg where he can't do anything. But yet we have chickens to take care of and we have horses to take care of and we have hay and we we heat the home with a wood stove. So who has to go get wood? Me. Like I became the spoiled little brat who moved in with her dad and uh, 
Serena, can you can you make me a coffee? Ugh. Hmm. Serena, can you come go get the eggs? <laughs> Serena, can you feed the horses? Like, I was so irritated. And I was like, why is this happening? And uh, the day that Reagan died is like approaching. And as it's approaching, I'm literally just trying to like not remember the date. But it's inevitable to like I can't not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so like as this day is coming, like I'm just more and more angry. More and more angry at my dad, more and more angry at Reagan, more and more just it was bad. Mm-hmm. And I remember going on a hike and I just screamed. Like, I, like, reached the top of this, like, really, like, I had hiked the crap out of the sand dune. And if anybody hikes in sand dunes, like, it is intense. And I did it to the point of exhaustion, and I got to the top, and I just, like, screamed. Because I was literally at the point of pain where I just needed a release. Mm -hmm. And the day that he died rolls around. I'm like, this sucks. And a few days later... I randomly decide to call a friend on his birthday. Super random. I've never called this friend on this birthday ever before. Like, we homies, but who does that? Not call on your birthday, homies. Yeah, like, (laughs) I don't call many homies on their birthday anyway. Um, But I'm on my lunch break. I'm working from home. And I FaceTime him. And I'm like, I'm going to FaceTime him and wish him a happy birthday. Hmm. Like, I haven't seen this dude in a while. I miss him. So I call him. Happy birthday. I was shocked that he answered. He's like, thanks. Thank you. And um, I remember him asking very quickly into the call. He's like, how are you? I was like, I'm great. How are you? Because... Old Serena turns everything back on somebody else, like always. Like I always turn it back on somebody else because that was my Mm self-preservation. Anytime anybody asked how I was doing, I'm great. How are you? And then I let them talk. And it was funny because he's like, I'm good. And he was about to go pick up his wife for lunch. He's like, you're going to get to see her. And I was like, awesome. And he goes, but are you really good? Hmm. And I just remember like, he knows. (laughs) Like I'll never really, he knows. He knows I'm not okay. How does Hmm. he know? And whether or not he did know, I'm not sure. I should ask him. But it was just totally the Holy Spirit leading. Because I needed to be asked that again so that Mm-hmm. A little bit of the door would be cracked open. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, I said, you know, I'm not great. Mm. And he was like, why is that? And I just slowly, and it was like, he just like had to pull, but it wasn't him pulling. Like, mm. now that I know it was the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And he was just being 
first one to trust because I did trust him. Mm -hmm. And I'm slowly sharing with him everything about Reagan because Mm -hmm. he knew Reagan as well as I did. Mm-hmm. He knew Reagan's facades. He knew Reagan's shortcomings, but he also knew how awesome he was. So I wasn't afraid to start sharing with him truly how I was feeling because mm-hmm. I was like, he will get it. And he did. Like he started, the best part was that he started validating what I was saying. Mm-hmm. You're right. You didn't deserve that to happen. You're right. He, he did kind of mess up a few times. Mm. His wife got in on the call, right? And they just very gently took care of hurt, like hurting Serena. Mm -hmm. And they validated it to the point where I could feel heard Mm -hmm. because I had never felt heard the whole time I never shared with anybody right? and they were understanding how I could love and hate someone at the same time because they had also kind of been through that in their own story. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we're sharing all of this, we're about 45 minutes into the call and I am just like starting to kind of sweat at this point. And it was not hot, but I just kind of started getting sweaty and I was just, I felt like I was just going to explode. Like, I truly remember thinking that. And uh, they're like, we're going to pray with you and, like, see what the Holy Spirit can just, like, reveal to your heart Hmm. about what needs to be revealed. Because that whole 45 minutes was a conversation about Reagan. And it was really good for me because I shared a lot of good things, shared a lot of irritating things, and they listened. And... uh, The coolest part was they started praying and uh, Tyler, the husband, says, we're just going to give you a minute to see what the spirit reveals to your heart. And I was like, I panicked. (laughs) Because perfection, Serena, like Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown is on my bookshelf because that's what I lived by because I was this perfect person mm-hmm. whose biggest fear was being found out of like being not enough of being fake of being a fraud and I was like Tyler just asked me to do something and I don't know what he wants me to say because I felt like I was like my mind was saying perform say the right thing so that this can like hopefully be fixed And I couldn't say anything. And it was this awkward silence. And uh, Holy Spirit spoke because this was not in my head. But I just said, I am a conditional lover. Hmm. And his wife, Morgan, is like, yeah, like you feel that you have to conditionally love others because if you unconditionally loved them, that leaves opportunity to be hurt the way you are right now. 
And uh, it just starts flooding my mind. And this massive weight starts coming off to the realization that I have been keeping a record of wrong. Hmm. I've been keeping a record of wrong and no one will ever harm me. No one will ever hurt me because I keep records of your wrong. And because I keep records, you're not going to do it again. And I was keeping this record of wrong for what people have done to me. And I had unconditional, I had conditionally loved so many people, but Tyler said, he's like, but does God keep a record of your wrongs? And I knew the answer. I said, no. <laughs> and it was so easy, Richard. It was like the flip of a switch. Weight was gone. I was so happy. Like, we prayed. I put it to death. Like, I put old Serena in the freaking grave. What was the main <laughs> thing? Like what the main thing was that you were, that you could love unconditionally, the fact that you couldn't, you put that in the grave? Yeah. Why were you able to do that? What's the reason that you could do that after a conversation? Like what was revealed to you in that conversation that allowed you to do that? What was revealed to me was the fact that my father, who I love so much, like I've grown so, I've, I've had so much intimacy with my heavenly father now for a couple of years. He keeps no record of wrong. Like we opened up the Bible and we read it. And I read this, like love keeps no record of wrong. And I thought to myself, who am I? To like keep a record of wrong and conditionally love someone for what they've done. When when Jesus only sees me for my value of who I am and he does not see me for what I've done, but he only sees me for who he sees me as. Like he sees me as what he values me as and what he calls me. And I started reading these verses out loud to them and they were verses like, You are holy and blameless in his sight. Mm -hmm. You are righteous. And a verse that I had known came to my head. You are altogether beautiful, my darling, and there's no flaw in you. And I started reading Romans 7. Sorry, not Romans 7. Romans 6. Mm Mm-hmm. I started reading Romans 6, where it starts talking about that through baptism, you're buried hmm. in his in Jesus' death. And you raise up in newness of life. Mm-hmm. And my heart exploded. And I started crying. And it all became so clear to me. Like, it's crazy how clear it became. And I got really excited because I was like, you guys, you guys, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was like, my dad. Like, I've been conditionally loving my dad. Like, it went from all this pain about Reagan to then realizing I have been keeping a record of wrong on my dad. I have been conditionally loving him through his actions when the whole time I should have been seeing him for what God sees him as. And what does God see my dad as? 
my God, my God sees dad as son. Hmm. And someone that loves unconditionally. And I was like, so if God loves my dad unconditionally, I, I love him unconditionally. Because then Galatians 2.20 came in. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Hmm. And I believed that because it says it. Mm-hmm. People get so obsessed with hearing the truth and hearing freedom of what I just was freed with and hearing what Romans 6 has to say, and they become so obsessed with the issue of their own unbelief. Hmm. And it took me 0.2 seconds to read what the word says, and I allowed the truth of the Bible to speak better things over than what I had been feeling for the last five years. Hmm. And we got off the call, and I took my Bible into the living room where I was at, and I was all alone, and there was praise music playing. And I knelt down over my Bible, and I just held out my hands, And I started sobbing tears of joy. I had never felt so happy in my life. Wow. My heart was pounding. And as as the praise music was playing, all I could think of is this is heaven on earth. I am living heaven on earth. And that's why I was sobbing. It's because I was like, God, you are here. You are living in me. It's no longer I who live, but you who lives in me. And angels are filling this room and they are praising because they've seen me come to to this moment of finally believing what this Bible says. Mercy. And the best part is this is how free I am. Old Serena would have never, ever, 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 ever said any of this to you, let alone be recorded, let alone with the potential of having hundreds of people hear this. Some people would say, wow, you're so brave. That's so vulnerable of you to share. No, because Mm. it's not me. Hmm. I don't care sharing very, what I used to thought were embarrassing things about me. Because it's not about me. It's not about me because I don't live anymore. She's dead. And she, like, old Serena was so put to death that immediately as I was done praying, I was speaking in past tense. Like, wow, I can't believe I used to live that way. Wow. This feels so good. Like I would, I was saying things like, I can't believe I used to be that way. (laughs) And it was, it was a while. Like it was so much, it was so much confidence. And I got home that night, and this is the best part. I got home, and I walked in the door, 
And old Serena used to be so irritated when I'd get home at night because I would, my dad would be watching TV and for some reason it annoyed me so much because he's really hard of hearing. He's worked with heavy machinery his whole life and so the TV would be really loud and it's very irritating. And I wasn't irritated. And I walked in and I couldn't wait to tell my dad how much I loved him. Because I hadn't loved him. What did he say? I walked in. I went and sat in the chair next to him. And he turned TV on mute. And I was just smiling like ear to ear. (laughs) And he's like, hi. I was like, I have to tell you something. And like old Serena would have been super nervous. Because I never would have brought this stuff up to him. Because I would have been afraid of how he would have reacted. Mm -hmm. I said, dad, I've been in so much pain. Like, and I start spilling the beans. Like I know Reagan died a year ago, but I've been in so much pain and my dad is so sweet. And he's like, like tapping my hand. He's like, I know I could tell. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, I thought I was masking this really well. And I was like, I've been in so much pain and I've been hurting and I've been mad at Reagan, but I, you know, we loved him. And dad's like, yeah, he was great. And, I said, but you want to know the coolest part is I got freed from that today. And he was like, okay. And I said, dad, I used to hate you. Mm. And I saw like his face dropped. I said, but I don't anymore. And I literally started sharing with him. I was like, dad, I used to hate you for the divorce. I hated you for the drinking. I wanted nothing to do with you. I used to control how much time we spent together because I didn't want a relationship with you. I was afraid. I said, but I no longer see you for anything you've done. I said, I see you for who God sees you as. And he calls you son. And he calls you valuable. And uh, my dad's getting these tears in his eyes. And the best part is that he started getting defensive and trying to defend his old actions. But it's the best part because he starts kind of getting defensive of his old actions and like the things he's done. He's like, well, this had to happen because of this. And well, your mom was this. And and I said, I said, dad, 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 you don't have to defend anymore because I no longer condemn you. Like I just, he's like, I laid my hands on him and I said, you don't have to defend yourself anymore. I said, you've had to defend yourself your whole life. And I don't condemn you. Because one of my favorite stories is John 8. And the woman caught in adultery. And truly unconditional love is like no record of wrong of Jesus. Like, They bring her to him, and Jesus says to her at the end of the story, says, like, all the people who are condemning her, they leave. Mm -hmm. And Jesus says to her, where are your accusers? And she says, nowhere. And he says, neither do I condemn you. And that's what I did with my dad. How did he handle that? And from that? that... Cuz it, it it could be 
it would take pride swallowing to not defend yourself. And he had so much pride. (laughs) Like, he had so much pride. But old Serena then would have gotten like, and really like, again, a wall. And I would have gotten really angry and I would have just shut down and I probably would have left. And he defended and the pride was there, but because I no longer live in the pride of self-preservation and I no longer live in the pride of, well, you've done this and you've done that and all the, the, it was beautiful because I just loved him and he kept trying to defend. And I was like, you don't have to. It's okay. And we prayed together. And ever since then, I can spend all the time in the world with my dad. Hmm. Ever since then, I have not felt one eensy, ouncy bit of grief, resentment, anger, pain, towards Reagan or towards his death. Why? Like I haven't heard about it. What's what's true about that whole thing that allows you to live like that? Is because I was seeing him through his actions again instead of just seeing him through his value of who he really was. Like, I don't have to worry about the things that have happened in the past. I no longer even really have to feel pain about him being gone because he was such, like, I just, I don't see the wrong anymore is basically what's happened. Is like, yeah, he's gone and I miss him. And... It was about like two months later, I had walked into this coffee shop and for some reason, like smells bring back memories for me. And I had this like smell of coffee and it reminded me of him and this coffee shop we had gone to. And I remember it hit me and I was like, that is so weird. And I got kind of teary eyed and it was the first time I thought, whoa, I didn't cry about you and long has it been, Mm -hmm. but it was so good. Because I can just remember, like, really fun and good, amazing memories now. And I no longer live in, I was, like, condemning him. But then I was also condemning myself because I was like, you don't deserve to miss him. Hmm. <laughs> there was so much. I, it, I remember hearing a voicemail from from him. And he's explaining what he's going through. And he was starting to understand freedom mm-hmm. and he's in the I've heard it too <laughs> yeah he's just like I used to think man Reagan stopped being such a you know what he's like but now <laughs> and like the first time I heard that message I was just like man I'm gonna get to see this guy soon and that thought yeah. that thought makes me much more emotional than, Same. than um, not being able to see him now or missing him. It's that thought of when we're all back together and we're just like, that was crazy. Like, look yeah. what happened. 
like look at how awesome God is and those moments in that time because we're talking about it right now but it's actually going to happen mm. like we're all going to be together it's it's like the christmas with the family that loves each other it's yep. there's no awkwardness it's just like oh we're all going back to dad's house and that that's what makes me emotional that when people pass on i just think oh man we're going to be together in the sky yeah and i'm like how crazy i can't even think about it it hurts to it's think gonna about it it's going to be so amazing um but then also we're going to have so much fun to live heaven on earth now like we get to have it now we get to speak life now we get to know who we are now and that's why 2020 has been the best year of my life is because i realized that life wasn't just to get by i had always i had always kind of been taught and the way it had been explained to like explained to me is this is our temporary home we are just working to get to heaven like just survive so we can make it. But I no longer survive. I live in the most massive abundance of life giving joy and love and peace because what hit me the most is my anthem is Ephesians 1 that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing that is found in the heavenly realms that I am holy and blameless in his sight and that I have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And it hit me so much when I read that you, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit because a seal is no joke. And that is like the legit deal. Like when you have something like sealed, that is done. And I realized when I am sealed with the Holy Spirit, I then have all the fruits of the Spirit. Like Galatians just made so much sense to me then because I had always read the fruits of the Spirit as things I had to strive for when that was written for, no, you live from this place. You don't live in lack. You live in abundance. I live out love and joy and peace, patience. I live with so much patience and kindness and goodness, and I live with faithfulness and gentleness, and I have self-control in every area of my life. And it was huge because not only did I get free from conditional love and keeping record of wrong, but I live in truly holistic panoramic freedom because Christ did not die 2,000 years ago to give me partial freedom. He died so that I may be set free and live life abundantly. He came and gave us the example of what it looks like to unconditionally love. He came and showed us what it looks like to not condemn. And what a privilege I have to live that out. And I understand where like some people may think that sounds so self-righteous. 
But to be honest with you, this one will probably sting a lot of people that aren't living in freedom is it is self-righteous of you to not live in the abundance that he has wanting, like that he is wanting you to live in. It is self-righteous to have pride. Not receive. And uh, if you don't receive the gift that God has given you, that is pride. Like people who hold on to their pain and people who hold on to keeping a record of wrong, like whatever it may be. What is the point? Like, what is the point of still naming yourself with anxiety and depression? Because in well, Jesus' name, you, you don't really, live in that. It's, it's because you really feel it. It's your reality. And you want to know something? Tell me something. Here's a secret. Feelings aren't the Lord. Feelings are not the Lord. What's the and it, Lord? It's interesting how easily I believe that. Because I may not feel sometimes like I have it all together. I may not feel like I'm free. I may not feel like I'm filled with peace, but guess what? What he has done and what he speaks over me speaks better things over my life than what I'm feeling. Why would I ever allow the the God of the universe who sent his son to die for me? Why? (laughs) Well, it's pride, but like pride says, no, my feelings are super valid over what God says. Mercy. And here's the thing, is feelings have a place. Feelings indicate, but feelings no longer dictate because I was dictated by my feelings for a good, basically my whole life. That's what I was dictated by. Hmm. But they can indicate something to me, but you know what feelings indicate to me? Is when I have a feeling that I know is a lie, So if something's a lie, that means it's not true. So if someone decides to believe a lie over their life, over the truth of God, that's some blasphemy. They're not doing it on purpose. Like we we all came about. For sure not. Yeah. Because I used to live in that place. So 2020 has been a victory lap. Oh, for sure. And you know what's going to Running happen? the victory lap is what happens after you're done with a race and you just run and you rejoice in what's already been done and completed. And I think this is a good way to finish this off because what I'm about to say might freak some people out, but... It's awesome. And that is what 2021 is going to be, is more of the same. It's more of the same freedom. There's more of the same understanding, blessings, believing truth. Like 2019 and 2020 for me have been crazy 
and 2021 is just going to be more of that. And now 2020 has sucked because, you know, I, I lost people in 2020. I lost people in 2019. I don't mourn the same way I used to mourn. It's it's just different. And, um, yeah. And can I say something? Because, you know, someone could have listened to this this whole time. You know, I tell my story and it seems like it's got a lot of like sob story going on. There was a lot of pain. And it may seem ridiculous that now all of a sudden I'm good. And it seems really crazy. Like, that seems impossible. You're just living on that like cloud nine, like, you know, summer camp high. But this is forever because my God lacks no good thing. And he's not just going to give me a cloud nine experience and then take it away. This is for life. Because I could walk out on my porch tomorrow morning and the whole earth could be destroyed and I would be good. Because he is good and his goodness lives in me and that is why I am living heaven on earth and that is why to go into 2021 we can say no matter what happens it's still more of the same. We're still living in the abundance. That's why Paul and Silas could sit in prison, chained to walls, and sing hymns, knowing they could be murdered. I don't think you're going to get shook on this. I think you're going to get worse. I think it's, uh, I think you got a problem. (laughs) I think it's called belief. I have massive belief. It's huge. I can't explain how big my belief is. Like, it, I can't why? even describe like, it. Why do you have so much belief? <laughs> why? <laughs> because I, when I put old Serena to death, and like, I believed in Jesus, like, regardless of what people say, the Bible is a historical piece of evidence. Like, I've taken classes in college. It is very historical. Jesus lived, and he is true. And so my belief is so massive because I know historically it's true. But second, because I don't just read it as like, oh, that's nice. It would be a waste of my time to read John 3, 16 and say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will have everlasting life. What a waste of my time if I were to memorize that and read it and not believe it. Yeah, you believe it because Jesus was a man and he's alive. Like, historical? And he's living on my inside? And roaring like a lion. The belief lion. (laughs) It's late here. 
<laughs> hey, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, one of these days, and hopefully it's before we're we're in the sky. Uh, we we all got to get we all got to be around each other and and party this thing out. Oh, for sure. Right. It'll be hey. lit. Love you. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on. Love you. Tell the fam hi.